Welcome to What The If. Philip Shane here, a uh, documentary filmmaker. Those are the real ones, not the made-up ones. Wait, the made-up filmmakers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those people that make the fiction movies, they are also fictional. <laughs> One of the greatest scams ever pulled. It's true. People actually exist. <laughs> Spielberg? Just a character. Uh, and that that person with me also is real. Couldn't even be, couldn't be more real. Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University. How are you? How how is uh, how's reality today? Um, slightly less real than you might hope for. Mm, interesting. <laughs> really, I I actually hope for it to be less and less real all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at this point, um, the explanation that everything is just fictional is probably our best recourse. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I refer you back to a number of our episodes, uh, earlier episodes, including Are We Living in a Simulation? That'd be mm-hmm. kind of fun. Are, are we not, are, not Are We Living in a Simulation? Are we living in a fictional movie? Ooh. Oh, well, that, that's, yes, that's an entirely different set of things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. But we have a great idea today and uh, it comes to us from an uh, audience member um those of you in the audience by the way we don't just we don't just make these things up um sometimes we do <laughs> sometimes we do <laughs> sometimes we do uh, you know it'd be funny if i again sticking with the sim- are we living in a simulation metaphor um you know maybe this universe is just sort of like something somebody made up just like mm-hmm. this is definitely um a possibility could just be honest, not even, it's just sort of like a scratch, like we're living in the scratch pad, you know, notebook version. Yeah, I was actually just uh, teaching that the other week in one of my classes. Is, um, you know, there, there's a, an argument that goes, um, it's called the argument from design, where you say the, the world is, is so perfectly arranged that it must have been created uh, by an intelligent designer, and therefore God must exist. Um, and uh, this argument's been around for a very long time, thousands of years. Uh, in the 18th century, there was this Scottish philosopher named David Hume who pointed out that um, even if you accepted the universe had to be created, who says we are the final draft, right? This is, <laughs> this is the crummy first version yep. that God is like, oh, this one's all screwed up. I'm just going to stick it under the bed, forget about it, and then I'll go on and make the, the proper universe. That's right. So we're st- we are the dust bunny. Yeah. Of the universe laboratory. Um, it would explain a lot, frankly. Yeah. It would. It would. Now, actually, speaking of rough drafts and, mm-hmm. and iterations, as we say, uh, today's if uh, comes to us from, an, oh, as I was mentioning, an audience member. And so um, uh, those of you in the audience, if you don't know, if you, if you haven't heard um, the show before or you're just not aware, um, we can, we will take ifs. You know, imaginary scenarios, thought experiments from you, from your mind to the to the ears of the world. Um, and uh, uh, sometimes we have guests uh, who come on with their ideas and other times we go with with ideas that have been sent in from you guys. And so today uh, we have a new person um, who when your idea is chosen, you are raised from you are all ifers. Everyone in the audience, you are ifers. We're all ifers. We're all in this together. We if. And uh, Joe Melio from uh, Colgate University, 
um, uh, in Syracuse, you said? Is in Syracuse? I believe so. Yes. Uh, is raised to super ifer status. Mm-hmm. Woo! Uh, for sending in our, the idea that we're going to run with today, the if. And this is what Joe, Joe wrote in. As you can too, by the way, you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com or you can go to our website, whattheif.com and click on contact and send us your ideas. Uh, Joe writes in and he says, hey guys, love the show. So pro tip, always good to flatter. Flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, Joe says, hey guys, love the show. I've been listening since episode one. Holy moly, Joe. Wow. Whoa. You've been super ever since day one. Um, And uh, Joe says, I've got an idea for an if. What the if... What if mutations and traits were selected within a few generations? What about within one generation? Mm. What the if evolution was sped up? The theory of evolution is that people procreate, creatures procreate, and successive uh, offspring occasionally have mutations. And if those mutations are help, help the um, creatures uh, live better within their environment, uh, th- that uh, mutation will actually become common. And uh, those who do not have that mutation, which was helpful, those uh, creatures will, that trait will eventually disappear. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Right. So what um, is this? Let's just jump right. What does this world look like now? We live in um, Well, that depends on a lot of things, okay. unfortunately. Um, uh, so as you say, the, the, the key factor in evolution um, is uh, children, is kids. Um, and specifically, whether your kids do better than you, right? This is the, the dream of every parent is that your your kids will do better than you. Um, and Dar- Darwin, Darwin says, um, either your kids do better than you or we all die. So that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure. Right? Did Darwin have children? Uh, he did. He had a very big family um, oh. and he loved his children tremendously. They're a wonderful example of a um, warm Victorian family. Oh. Um, and uh, one of Darwin's greatest uh, tragedies in his life is that his one of his daughters dies young, who he was particularly uh, attached to, because it's still the days before things like antibiotics. Um, uh, and it uh, shapes his whole life, actually, that that one eventually turns him towards agnosticism and so on. Um, but uh, but neither here nor there um, is uh, uh, this notion that. So if I um, do well in my life, right? I can, in modern terms, I can afford a nice house and food. And in paleolithic terms, I can prevent myself from being eaten by a tiger. Then I get to have kids. Um, And uh, it's probably the case that I have neighbors that don't do as well as me. So they get eaten by a tiger or half eaten by a tiger or something like that. So because I survived the tiger attack, um, I live long enough to have more children and my neighbor does not or has fewer children because they're busy being eaten by a tiger. They're busy. I'm busy. 
<laughs> so why haven't you had kids yet, honey? Yeah. Well, I've been really busy this week <laughs> getting eaten by a tiger. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Um, so then um, the next generation will look more like me and less like my neighbor. Aha. Uh-huh. Whatever it is right. about you that allows you to escape tigers better. Maybe you're faster. Yeah. Yep. Or my hair is longer. To pick a random oh, example. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know how that would increase my survival. It scares the tiger. The tiger thinks you're a lion. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that. Um, and then the same thing happens for the next generation. So the generation after that looks even more like uh, their parents than my kids look like me. Yeah. Uh, so, and every now and then, so that's the the kind of um, steady change in evolution that we're used to thinking about. Um, But then every now and then you'll get what's called a mutation. So all of a sudden, one of the children in some generation um, looks a little different than their parents. And maybe it's something trivial, like eye color is a little different. Or maybe it's something cool. They've got an extra finger or something, right? Uh, And every now and then, one of those mutations uh, is going to be useful. It's going to make it a little more likely that that individual will survive and then therefore that their children will survive. So then we say that evolution will select for that mutation. So in terms of the speed of evolution, there's two things that determine it. Um, One is you have to wait multiple generations because that's how the mechanism works. It's parent to child, parent to child, parent to child. So you have to wait for a full you have to wait for your kids to grow up and have their own kids before you get another uh, step right. uh-huh. in the chain. Uh-huh. Um, and then second is how fast mutations happen and whether or not they're useful. Okay. So the vast majority of mutations um, don't do anything. They just have no, no survival value whatsoever. Um, and then of the ones that do make some difference, most of those are negative. Right? They're not, they're not good. Um, so then there's some tiny fraction of mutations that are beneficial. In fact, I would have to say even just the word mutation and certainly the connotation of the word mutation for us is that it's bad. Like, um, um, yeah, unless yeah. you're an X-Man, right? Oh, okay, right. True. Which is, True. Which is great. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. But for instance, if, if um, you know, we sometimes there are incredible athletes and... We, we don't generally refer to them as mutants, but they no, may that's have right. A, that, that would that's right. That would be considered to be unkind. I think that's, that's right. right. That's right. But it may be. You know, sometimes the, there is certain. At least they have certain advantages. Mm-hmm. But let's say being so, tall in basketball, for instance, we don't generally call them mutants. That's right. But that but that's tall. a that's an excellent example of mutation. Right. Uh-huh. Somebody who's just a little bit taller. Right. Than their parents right. are. Um, so that's uh, so. Then, if basketball had survival value, um, that mutation would be very quickly selected for. And yeah, interest it, within that system, it is very much right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's so that would be cool. So, if we wanted to speed up evolution, we sort of got two options. One would be to mess with the mutation process in some way, either get more mutations like more frequently, um, or somehow get better mutations than bad ones. Um, 
getting more mutations is no problem. Just put, you know, uh, radioactive waste under his house. Um, right. In fact, in since, The Simpsons, if I may give a shout out for those, this is a little, <laughs> little bit of a deep cut in The Simpsons. There was uh, fish in the river because there's a nuclear power plant in town that Homer works at. But uh, uh, there are fish with three eyes. Yeah. Blinky, the three eyed fish. Right? Oh, oh whew, I didn't even know that. And so um, had that genuinely been a benefit uh, in Springfield, uh, there would have been maybe all the fish. Uh, by the end, you know, The Simpsons has been on so long. For a long time. <laughs> 30 years or whatever. I don't know. Um, and uh, it, by this point uh, in Springfield, the fictional town in The, in the Simpsons, uh, all the fish would have three eyes probably. Um, that is quite possible. So the, the other thing you can do to mess with the speed of evolution um, is the uh, reproduction rate. Because remember, we have to wait for the next generation for effects to kind of take hold. Um, so fish reproduce pretty quick, right? I, I don't know much about fish biology, but certainly it's got to be uh, less than a year before a fish is able to reproduce again. Or not just that, the number, I mean, I, I had guppies as a kid, and uh, I can say that they, <laughs> when the guppies have babies, when the mother gives birth, there's like enormous number of fish born per yep. Okay. Litter or um, whatever they call it. School. And that's a good, that's one strategy that biology uses, have lots of children and most of them die. But if the ones who survive, then that's pretty cool, right? Um, but what we want is a faster turnaround. Uh, so for humans, for instance, we've got to wait 20 years between birth and the start of the next generation. Uh, and that's kind of a long time in biological terms, as opposed to, say, your guppies, which are cranking out children on a regular basis. So if we if we want humans to be evolving fast, our best bet is probably to somehow speed things, speed up reproduction, um, a, a shorter period of time between birth and the ability to have one's own offspring. Or even, I guess, you don't, you, you don't need to wait for the next generation. I mean, you could say that... Uh, Every nine months, theoretically. Uh, if you really crank it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are families that do. Maybe it sounds like Darwin's family maybe uh, maybe did. Um, but yeah, yeah, or every year, you know, once a year or within that range. Um, so we can say this. We do know there are human families that have lots of children. And certainly in earlier ages, it was even more the case. Yeah, but that's just, just one family having lots of kids actually won't speed up evolution particularly. Rather... We need to shorten the gap between kids being born and kids having their own kids. So if if humans could reproduce at age five, then we would speed up evolution by a factor of four, right? Because we'd be having uh, uh, each generation would appear more quickly. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're going to go with this disturbing image. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, um, or another way to think of it actually is if, if we lived um, four times the length, like if we lived instead of, let's say now 100 years, if we lived 400 years, we would also be able to see, if the goal is simply to be able to see evolution. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. If you just want to see evolution, then extending our lifetimes would be, because then you'd get to, you know, in normal human lifetime, you get to see what, three generations maybe? 
Um, but as you say, if you lived 400 years, then you get to see um, dozens. Right. So or that'd be cool. Another way to think about this is that if for some reason uh, there is a creature, there's an animal, uh, and let's give it, we'll give it to the tigers, since tigers have, you know, had a cameo appearance already. What if tigers, let's say, um, for some reason, um, just uh, started evolving faster? Uh, actually, no, no, no. I, here's what's interesting. Joe's question is, and I like to stick to the heart of the question. The heart of the question is, what if it was sped up? And so if evolution was sped up, let's say it's, it's all over. Like the entire thing is sped up. And so um, uh, what that means is that it's happening all over the place. So let's just say for whatever reason, this is going to be the what the if hand-waving thing. Starting today, evolution speeds up. We don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, and so that... Uh, you know what that would mean is actually what we're doing is we're just skipping. So let's say evolution suddenly doesn't require quite as many in-between steps. Hmm. Now, it's getting, it's getting messy. See, it's interesting. We don't usually have this complication. Let's just say we live, we're living longer and we're able to see okay, it. That's fine. Yeah, so we'll it's get easier. to see the, the processes. Yeah. yeah, so we see it. And mm -hmm. um, fish is interesting, actually, because we believe the fish became people, for instance. Uh, rather, we say fish and people have a common ancestor. Ah, okay, okay. I do, but like Carl Sagan, I, I seem to remember showing, you know, using animation or whatever, and, and the idea was that at least the proposed path was like there are, there's an ocean or there's a warm pond, I think, as Darwin said, and uh, you have single-cell creatures become multi-cell creatures, become plants. And I remember there's an animation in Cosmos where they showed like, it's like a plant uh, like a leaf almost, you know, uh, growing from the surface of the, the, from the bottom of a lake and it's waving like a big leaf. And then all of a sudden it turns into a fish and swims away. The idea being that from plants became fish and then that fish eventually left the water. Yeah, but that's why you don't let astrophysicists do your uh, uh, your biology <laughs> animations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither here nor there. Right. Um, uh, but the point being that if you live long enough, you'd be able to see um, changes from generation to generation that are otherwise imperceptible. I got it. Cats, um, your cat, your pet cat, uh -huh. evolution speeds up there. Suddenly, uh -huh. the cats are giving, they do give birth fairly frequently if you let them run around outside. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so... So, so evolution selects for, that is, makes changes along the lines of whatever will let the critter have more children, because that's what, that's what counts as evolutionary success. So the question is, what would let your cat uh, have more kids? So would that be the cat being faster, um, taller, sharper claws? Um, Sexier. I think sexier. Well, that's right. And so there's a whole sort of kind of subfield of evolution called sexual selection, which is what gets you things like giant peacock feathers that don't let you escape predators any better, but are really attractive to mates. Now, I'm thinking that what determines whether or not house cats thrive is actually not their hunting ability. 
right? That doesn't right. <laughs> right, yeah. really matter. But rather, I think it's um, how well they appeal to us, the owners. Yes, although we tend to neuter them. Yeah, we're going to have to skip the, the neutering process. Yeah, it's just, um, uh, or I was going to say, maybe they, they can open their cans of Fancy Feast. Oh, well, that's another thought, right? Yeah. So is there, could you imagine some adaptation that lets them uh, open their own cans of food? Because that would be a game changer for the cats, right? Um, and so you've probably met a cat that has a thumb that has polydactyly. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Right? Have you ever met one of those cats? I don't know. Yeah. I've seen them. Uh, so we can imagine uh, a random mutation that makes that thumb a little more useful than it is at the moment, um, and maybe strong enough to pull up the the tab on the tin. So let's say the the cats that um, get that particular adaptation um, are able to have more children because they have more food and can therefore thrive. So the next generation of cats is going to have that feature emphasized. They're going to have bigger thumbs. Actually, we could even say these are straight. These are cats that are out in the quote wild, the urban wild, because there they they can run amok. They can you know they don't have to bother with our interference, and they can steal. Okay. Basically, they can break into the Amazon boxes. For instance, we have our <laughs> our fancy feast comes uh, once a month. With new cats, so I can imagine cats, you know, just jumping the guy at the uh, the UPS guy and stealing all the cat food and distributing okay. it. All right, yeah. so maybe this is a, this would be a helpful um, comparison then. So the cats who live at home, who do rely on tinned food, are going to evolve towards having those big thumbs so they can open the tabs on the cans. Right. The cats that live outside, who mug the Amazon delivery <laughs> people. Um, don't have any special need for a big thumb, right? Their their benefit is going to be if they're attacking by stealth, um, then maybe uh, black cats do better because they can hide more effectively, right? So the indoor cats... Actually, brown uh, uh, cardboard-colored cats will evolve. They will hide <laughs> in the boxes, yeah. <laughs> so the outdoor cats begin to look more and more like boxes, right? and more and more cardboard-colored because that's successful right uh and then the indoor cats um are all kinds of weird colors because there's no survival value in color for them but they all start developing these big thumbs so after a hundred generations um one of the indoor cats gets out and meets their outdoor cousin and finds oh <laughs> you, you look weird yes. right why are you all this strange color um, and why do you have cat, Amazon? Why do you have an Amazon logo in your fur? <laughs> with the swoosh on the side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're still recognizable to each other as as cats, um, but they're also distinctly different. And if you wait long enough, um, they will look so different that you have a hard time imagining they were ever the same species in the first place. And that's essentially where we are with, say, dogs and wolves. Right. So that yappy chihuahua that lives down the block from you is still Canis lupus. It is the same species as the wolf. Um, <laughs> but over the last 50,000 years or so, humans have been choosing which dogs to help survive. 
So we've been, when we needed dogs that looked like chihuahuas, we just bred the dogs that looked like chihuahuas, right? We, we, we fed them more, um, didn't feed the ones that looked not like chihuahuas. Uh, and over tens of thousands of years, that's a lot of generations. So if you go to a dog park, you can sort of see uh, evolution in process, oh, oh, as it were, uh -huh. right? Because you're seeing all those different divergences. So chihuahuas thrived in a place where small, yappy dogs um, thrived, probably where humans gave them lots of food. And mastiffs thrived in places where it was really helpful to be gigantic and have very powerful jaws. Uh, or it could be that the wolves, any humans that tried to domesticate a wolf got eaten by the wolf. And therefore, you don't see wolves as pets. Um, well, that's there is something to that, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is how evolutionary logic works. Um, why is it that most domesticated dogs have, for instance, relatively big eyes and soft fur? It's because we like those features. So the, the wolves that had those features successfully got close to humans and ate our food. So they survived. The wolves that were too aggressive never got the benefit of living close to humans. So they just stayed wolves. Benefit or, you know. Yeah, that's right. Depending on your point of view. In the eye of the wolf. Wolves. Yeah. Now, actually, thinking more about what Joe's asking and really what, what's most compelling is, and this, this is the sort of kind of rap, getting to the closest stage, the true evolution of this if, is that really, we, we really, we really want to see human evolution. I think that that's what we want to be most apparent. And I think what that would mean is that, let's say, um, you would see basically children would have to be born with much greater diversity, right? Uh, well, that would be the speeding up mutation side of things. Right? Yeah. And so um, one of those mutations could be that they grow faster. So you no longer take uh, sure. 20 years to mature. It takes five. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in fact, that generation, <laughs> or whenever you get to that generation, those super five-year-olds are probably going to be take over i think well eventually sure yeah. yeah yeah and so what that would mean is that uh you would go to a hospital and you look at the what was it the, the maternity ward right you see all the little mm -hmm. babies and, thing, and instead of seeing like all kind of identical looking except for maybe you know certain uh racial traits or whatever you see all these babies and they really look like incredibly different right because evolution is trying yeah, out things much more quickly. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what the X-Men is about. Like, although X-Men doesn't really deal with reproduction so much. They're kind of one-off so no. mutants. <laughs> but um, that's what it would be. And, and that um, it wouldn't take very long, really just a number of years, or let's say a decade, before, if that situation existed in the hospital, 10 years later, I mean, the entire society is full of much more different things. And already somebody has beaten us out. Right? <laughs> well, hopefully, right? I mean, this um, I, I thing that we need to ponder is that, of course, um, since Darwin, people have been aware that humans could evolve the same way we have um mutated dogs into the shape we want so 
very quickly people may come to the conclusion that, well, maybe we should breed humans the way we breed dogs. That is, choose them for particular traits. Um, and and so you've got a, a lovely sort of Brooklyn-influenced vision of this in which a thousand flowers bloom and <laughs> right. variety is, is welcome. Right. But in practice, what happens um, is people try to enforce uniformity. That is, if everybody, if we all like blue eyes, we try to make sure the next generation will all have blue eyes. Um, and this leads to a practice that comes to be called eugenics, um, which is uh, surely one of the most kind of evil offsprings of modern science, right? It gives us the, the terrible kinds of uh, racism, um, structural and personal, and eventually gives us, say, the Nazis. Um, so that's a, a difficult thing, right? If, if the, the urge to watch evolution go fast would almost certainly give rise to um, interfering with evolution and trying to shape it in a particular direction. Um, and I think, you know, the, again, the dog park, the, the, what you see at the dog park is, um, is evidence of the way we would be interfering with our own evolution. So I'd like to think it would be the human dog park Right. With all this, all, all this incredible <laughs> variety. Um, right. But I think in practice, it would look more like, um, I don't know, a middle school cafeteria where everybody's trying to look like the fashion of the day. Right. OK. Or but yeah, let's say let's imagine more of a Star Trek uh, future or more utopian bent. And I think actually the one thing that might come, like we, we, we do in, in um, many countries, at least we, we make an effort to, and, and it gets better and better each year, um, create more accessibility. We accommodate people with different... Uh, different everything. Body, body types, right? Everything. Yeah. Even and mental, mental abilities and all that kind of stuff. And so the, the true outcome, if you really follow that forward, in fact, like what if we, we if you had, had a society that rigor, just said everything, if somebody's, if a baby's born with totally, you know, whatever, some kind of, they're different in some way, they're entitled to everything that make but basically full accessibility. They should be fully mm -hmm. integrated into society. That could allow this sort of blossoming of like, then you really could imagine an insanely diverse, and ultimately this is what we're talking about, about evolution. Just forget uh, evolution. It feels like when we say speed up evolution, it almost feels like getting to another particular point another particular stage um for instance cats now drive the amazon trucks <laughs> that's all we need and, and, and fly the planes and run the warehouses right basically they just work their way up literally the food chain and um, they run amazon basically that's that's what happens but instead diversity itself means evolution has sped up so we don't have to we, we can actually imagine almost like a continuous evolution actually means like just an incredibly diverse uh, world like you said m beginning with people being more like having the variety that dogs have mm -hmm. yeah um yeah so i think there's a sense in which the the outcome of this depends a lot on what you think about human nature and what you imagine the kind of society we would build if we actually had control of these things um and I say, as a historian, I'm somewhat pessimistic about this because this always tends to, <laughs> has historically always led to pretty awful things. Um, but maybe we'll do better next time. Or it may be that 
you know, for some reason, the society that does that uh, wins out. Um, that'd be nice. Yeah. 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 And it may be why we imagine sometimes when you look at like uh, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek to some degree, but for Star Wars, the cantina scene in Star Wars Famous, where suddenly you, see, you just see millions of different types of aliens. It might be that in that world, they were less um, racist. It actually, interestingly, for all its problems in Star Wars, racism isn't, the droids kind of like suffer. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, we don't like their kind. We here. don't serve your kind. But uh, other than, well, and, and you, you can see why the droids are discriminated. Like they don't even build ramps. R2-D2 has to crawl downstairs. Even BB-8 also has to go downstairs sometimes. Yeah, but somehow also R2 gets around the forest moon of Endor perfectly fine, which it, yeah. I don't really understand how that works. No, but. that's just a testament to his fortitude. You know, he's like, <laughs> screw this. I, it, it, the world is not accommodating to him. He's like, I, I will survive. I will survive. Yeah, that uh, sounds like something R2 would say. Yeah, I will survive. That would be a great metaphor for all of us stuck in the evolutionary rat race. <laughs> Gloria Gaynor uh, will be our anthem. Um, well, thank you. So, so uh, um, how do you feel imagining? We we know how you feel about the pessimistic side. How do you feel about yeah. this other evolution? And is Joe? Um, did Joe provide us with a thrilling uh, alternate future? Oh well, he certainly provided us with a thrilling alternate future. Um, the question is exactly where. Uh, it ends up, um, and there's, uh, I mean, there's a sense in which this is the the question that H.G. Wells tackled in his classic, The Time Machine, way back when. Um, is he tra the the protagonist uh, travels to the far future to see what human evolution looks like, um, and he finds that there's two. We've split into two species, right? The the Eloi and the Morlocks. Um, uh, then the Eloi are beautiful and peaceful and calm. Um, but also get eaten by the Morlocks on a regular basis. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, um, so we will see. I don't know. I'd like to be hopeful. Yes. Well, any thought experiment that ends with H.G. Wells has done well. Yeah, that's has probably right. Well. Has done well. Um, so thank you. Uh, thank you, Joe, for this um, thought-provoking situation. Yeah. If you enjoyed this show, please uh, actually leave us a uh, I was going to say leave us a reward. <laughs> That's fine, too. <laughs> yes. Leave us a reward. Uh, you know, um, brown paper envelope is fine. Uh, but uh, easier than that, if you could go to iTunes or whatever, whatever you're listening to this podcast right now, there's a way to leave us a review. That would be great. Uh, five stars is fantastic. If you can write a few words, that's great. If you want to leave us a review, if you're motivated to do so and you just have no clue how to do it, just uh, send me an email, feedback at whatthiv.com. Uh, yeah, we can help with that. We can help you make it happen because we are evolved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the word, Just the word evolution lends itself to so many puns. give a shout out to uh we have an incredible staff uh of people joining us helping out which has been amazing power jung and Ilya jung as well mm -hmm. unrelated unrelated and um kyle Crichton as well who's been helping us out with uh yeah audio yeah. and uh some cover art uh, magnificent cover art so uh Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week when we have no idea what it will be. And therefore, 
when we imagine what all the mutations of ideas <laughs> that we could explore come flooding our way, uh, you know, uh, the, the dog park of ifs is just a truly astounding, horrifying place. You, you may be bit. You may be. Uh, that's right. You may be pooped on. <laughs> Almost guaranteed. This if may grab your leg. So we can't help but scream. And when we when we do, we scream the name of the show. Just because that's how it is. We don't know. This is, you know, uh, evolution doesn't explain itself. Mm-hmm. And so we are thinking now. And if you would join us, if, you, if you've been a part of this before, you know what it is. Get ready. Join us. If you're new, we're going to say the name of the show very slowly. Here come the ifs. And we say... What? what? The... the... Uh, 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 uh. I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs>